7. The morning, become erect in the afternoon, and close at night. We are told that the May apple is a roadside plant, but I have found it only in the woods. Wild grapes There are several varieties of wild grapes. All, I think, edible but not all pleasant to the taste. The fox grape is sweet, but has a musky flavor and odor, a thick skin, and a tough pulp. The fruit ripens in September but few care to eat it. The vine grows luxuriantly and is very common. The summer grape is another tough-skinned grape. It is not musky but is generally astringent. The vine resembles the fox grape in growth, being strong and vigorous. The fruit of the blue grape is sour and hangs in long, heavy clusters. It is usually found along waterways. Frost grape or chicken grape If you try to eat the frost grapes before frost you will find them decidedly sour. But after a good frost they are really fine. They have a snappy, spicy flavor all their own. And one eats them, like currants, skin and all. They are small, round, and black with a slight bloom. The clusters are well filled and hang loosely. The vine grows luxuriantly, branching from a large trunk, and is found in wet places and on the banks of streams, though it does well in the open and in drier soil. It flourishes in New England and down to Illinois and westward to Nebraska. The leaves usually suggest three lobes but are mostly undivided. They are coarsely toothed and the underside bears occasional hairs along the veins. Wild nuts, black walnuts of all the wild growing foods. Nuts are, perhaps, the most nutritious. The black walnut, not plentiful in the Atlantic states but abundant in the middle states and in the Mississippi Valley, has a rich, wild flavor, and a deep brown stain for the hands that tear it from its ball-like covering of tough, pimply green which forms the outer husk. The nut is sometimes oblong, sometimes almost round, with a deeply grooved, hard, brown shell. It grows in pairs or solitary. The tree is large, often reaching the height of 100 feet and its trunk is from 4 to 6 feet in diameter. The bark is dark brown with deep vertical grooves and its surface is broken with thick scales. The leaves are compound, growing on a middle stem which is sometimes 2 feet long. Each leaflet is a narrow oval, sharply pointed at the end, and usually about 3 inches long. The nuts require frost to ripen them. Butternut While the butternut tree is much like the walnut in general appearance, it does not grow as large. The nuts are different in shape and in flavor and the leaflets are hairy instead of smooth. The butternut does not grow as far north as the walnut, but is often found side by side with the walnut in the middle states. The green outer covering of the nut is oblong and sticky on the surface, and, like the walnut, will stain the hands. The shell is hard, brown, oblong, and pointed at one end. It is deeply grooved. The flavor is rich but the nut being oily soon becomes rancid. Hickory nuts and gathering hickory nuts you must be able to distinguish between the edible variety and others that are fair on the outside but better within. There are nine varieties of hickory nut trees, and in general appearance they are alike. All have compound leaves and the leaflets are larger and fewer to the stem than the walnut, usually numbering from 5 to 11. The nuts grow in small clusters as a rule, often in pairs, and the outer husk separates when ripe into four pieces allowing the nut to drop out clean and dry. The full-grown tree is of good size and is found almost everywhere in the United States. Shellbark. Shagbark The shellbark or shagbark hickory nut is one of the best. The flavor, as everyone knows, is sweet and pleasant. It is the bark of the tree that gives it the name of shagbark, for it separates into a long, ragged strip several inches wide which generally hold to the trunk at the middle and give it an encamped, shaggy appearance. 
Mokronet The mokronet is the hickory nut with a dark, brownish-colored shell, hard and thick and not easily cracked. It is called the mokronet because while the nut is large, usually larger than the shell bark, the kernel is very small and difficult to take out of the thick shell. Pignet I will italicize the pignet because, though I had never eaten it, I once tried to, and the first taste was all sufficient. Some writers tell us that the flavor is sweet or slightly bitter. It was the decidedly bitter kind that I found lying temptingly clean and white under the tree. The thin outer husk of the pignut is not much larger than the nut. It is broader at the top than at the stem, where it narrows almost to a point. The husk does not open as freely as that of the other hickory nuts. It is inclined to cling to the nut, in some cases it only partially opens and drops with the nut. Beech nut one of the sweetest and most delicately flavored of our native nuts is the little, triangular beech nut. The tree is common and widely distributed, but few people know anything about the nut. In Kentucky the nuts used to be plentiful, but I have seen none in New York. It is said that a beech tree must be fully 40 years old before it will bear fruit, and that may be the reason the nuts are not oftener found. The soft-shelled nut is very small, no larger than the tip of your little finger. The color is pale brown, and it is three-sided with sharp angles. It is contained in a small, prickly husk and grows both solitary or in clusters of two or three. When touched by frost the bird opens and allows the nut to fall out while the bird remains on the tree. The bark of the beech tree is ashy gray, and the leaf is oblong, blonde at the tip, toothed on the edge, and strongly veined. Chestnut I find that the chestnut tree is not as well known as its fruit, which is sold from stands on the street corners of most American cities. Around, green prickly burrs the husk of the nut, and this is lined inside with soft, white, velvety down, nestled closely in the soft bed lie several dark brown nuts with soft, polished shells. The first frost opens the burrs, and the sweet nuts fall to the ground. You may recognize the tree in midsummer by its long tasseled, cream white blossoms, which hang in profusion from the ends of the branches. The chestnut is the only forest tree that blossoms at that time so you cannot mistake it. Later you will know it by the prickly green burrs, which develop quickly. The tree is large and common to most states. The leaves are from 6 to 8 inches long, they are coarsely toothed at the edges, sharply blonde at the end, and are prominently veined on the underside. They grow mostly in tufts drooping from a common center. Bark and roots of trees slippery elm The inner bark and the root of the slippery elm are not only pleasant to the taste but are said to be nutritious. They have a glutinous quality that gives the tree its name, and the flavor is nutty and substantial. This variety of elm is common and is found from the St. Lawrence River to Florida. It grows to a height of 60 or 70 feet, with spreading branches which flatten at the top. The outline of the tree is much like that of a champagne glass, wide at the top and narrow at the stem. The slippery elm resembles the white elm, but there are differences by which you can know it. If you stroke the leaf of the white elm you will find that it is rough one way but smooth the other, stroke the leaf of the slippery elm, and it will be rough both ways. The buds of the white elm are smooth, those of the slippery elm are hairy, then you cannot mistake the inner bark of the slippery elm, which is fragrant, thick, and gummy. The outer bark is dark brown, with shallow ridges and large, loose plates. The leaves are oblong, rounded at the base, and are coarsely toothed. They are prominently veined and are dark green, paler on the underside. Sassafras The sassafras grows wild from Massachusetts to Florida, and west through the Mississippi Valley. It is generally a small tree, from 30 to 50 feet high, and is often found growing in dense thickets and in cultivated fields. 
The edible bark is dark red-brown. It is thick but not hard and is deeply ridged and scaled. The cracked bark is one of the characteristics of the tree. It begins to split when the tree is about three years old. The strong aromatic flavor is held by the bark, the wood, the roots, the stems, and the leaves. I had never tasted the fruit, which is very like dark blue and glossy, and is held by a thick scarlet calyx, but the birds are fond of it. Sassafras too was at one time considered the best of spring medicines for purifying the blood, and the bark was brought to market cut in short lengths and tied together in bunches. The leaves are varied, on one twig there will sometimes be three differently shaped leaves, some will be oval, some with three lobes, and some mitten-shaped, that island in oval leaf with a side lobe like the thumb of a mitten. Solids. Watercress there is no more refreshing solid than the watercress gathered fresh from a cool, running brook. It is a common plant, found almost anywhere in streams and brooks. Its smooth green or brownish leaves lie on the top of the water, they are compound, with from three to nine small rounded leaflets. The flavor is peppery and pungent. Watercress sandwiches are good. The white flowers are small and insignificant and grow in a small cluster at the end of the stem. Dandelion a solid of tender. Young dandelion leaves is not to be despised, and the plant grows everywhere. Only the very young leaves, that come up almost white in the spring, are good. The flavor is slightly bitter with the wholesome bitterness one likes in the spring of the year. These young leaves are also good when cooked like spinach. The plant is so common it does not really call for a description. And if you know it you can skip the following, growing low on the ground, sometimes with leaves lying flat on the surface. The dandelion sends up the hollow. Leafless stem crowned with a bright yellow, many-petaled flower about the size of a silver 50-cent piece. The seed head is a round ball of white down. The leaves are deeply notched, much like thistle leaves, but they have no prickles. Chapter VIII Little foes of the trailer poisonous insects, reptiles, and plants insects My first experience with wood ticks, jiggers, and Jersey mosquitoes was during the summer we spent at Bayville, near Tom's River, NJ, in many ways Bayville with its sand, its pines, its beautiful wood roads, and rare wild flowers, is an interesting and attractive place. The salty air is fine when the thermometer is self-respecting and keeps the mercury below 90 degrees in the shade, but the oak underbrush harbors wood ticks. The blackberry bushes cover you with jiggers. The woods are full of deer flies, and the vicious mosquito, whose name is Legion, is everywhere where he is not barred out. Wood ticks I have been told of the ticks that infest the forests of the south, have heard blood-curdling stories of how they sometimes bury themselves, entire, in the flesh of animals and men and have to be cut out, and my horror of them was great, in reality I found them unpleasant enough but, as far as we were concerned, comparatively harmless, the wood tick is a small, rather disgusting looking creature which, in appearance and size, resembles the common bedbug. It fastens itself upon you without your knowledge and you do not feel it even when it begins to suck your blood, but something generally impels you to pass your hand over the back of your neck, or cheek, where the thing is clinging, and, feeling the lump, you pull it off and no great harm done. The tick is supposed always to bury its head in the flesh, and it is said that if the head is left in when the bug is pulled off an ugly sore will be the result. We had no experience of that kind, however, nor in our hurry to get rid of it, did we stop to remove the bug scientifically by dropping oil on it, as Caffard advises, but just naturally and simply, also vigorously, we grasped it between thumb and forefinger and hastily plucked it off, 
The effect of the bite was no worse on any of our party than that of the Jersey mosquito. Often your friends will see a tick on you and tell you of it even while they have several, all unknown to themselves, decorating their own countenance. The name by which science knows this and lovely bug is Ixod's leech. Jigger. Redbug. Might the tiny mite called by the natives Jigger and Redbug is more annoying than the wood tick. One reason being that there are so many more of him. He really does penetrate the skin. And his wanderings under the surface give one the feeling of an itching rash which covers the body. You won't see the Jigger he is too small. But if you invade his domain you will certainly feel him. Dear fly the dear fly will bite and bite hard enough to hurt. It will drive its sharp mandibles into your skin with such force as to take out a bit of the flesh, sometimes causing the blood to flow. But the bite does not seem particularly poisonous, though you feel it at the time and it generally raises a lump on the flesh. The deer fly belongs to the family of gadflies. It is larger than a house fly and its wings stand out at right angles to its body. It will not trouble you much except in the woods. Black fly the Adirondack and Northwoods region is not only the resort of hunters campers, and seekers after health and pleasure, but it is also the haunt of the maddening black fly. From early spring until the middle of July or 1st of August the black fly holds the territory, then it evacuates and is seen no more until next season, when it begins a new campaign. Under the name of buffalo fly the black fly is found in the west, where, on the prairies, it has been known to wage war on horses until death ensued death of the horses, not of the fly. It is a small fly about one-sixth of an inch long, thick-bodied, and black. It is said to have broad silvery circles on its legs, but no one ever stops to look at these. Its proboscis is developed to draw blood freely, and it is always in working order. The only virtue the black fly seems to have is its habit of quitting operations at sundown and leaving to other tormentors the task of keeping you awake at night. When the black fly bites you will know it, and it will leave its mark. When it does leave which must generally be by your help, for it holds on with commendable persistence. If you would learn more of this charming insect, look for Simulium molestum in a book which treats the subject scientifically. Noceum. Punky. Mitch there is another pest of the North Woods which the guides call the Noceum. It is a very diminutive mitch resembling the mosquito in form and viciousness, but so small as to be almost invisible. Night and day are the same to the Noceum, its warfare is continuous and its bite very annoying but it disappears with the black fly in July or August. By September the mountains and woods are swept clear of all these troublesome things, except at times and in some places the ever-hungry mosquito, which will linger on for a last bite in his summer feast. The only way to relieve the irritation caused by the bites of these pests, including the mosquito, is to bathe the affected parts with camphor, alcohol, or diluted ammonia. When there are but one or two bites they may be touched with strong ammonia but it will not do to use this too freely, as it will burn the skin. Gnats in the mountains of Pennsylvania The most troublesome insects I found were the tiny gnats that persist in flying into one's eyes in a very exasperating fashion. They swarm in a cloud in front of your face as you walk and make constant dashes at your eyes, although to reach their goal brings instant death. It is not much trouble to get one of these gnats out of your eye when it once gets in. All that is necessary is to take the eyelashes of the upper eyelid between your thumb and first finger, and draw the upper eyelid down over the under eyelid. The under eyelashes sweep the upper lid clear, and the rush of tears that comes to the eye washes the insect out. Bees, wasps, and yellow jackets while honeybees and wasps can make themselves most disagreeable when disturbed. You can usually keep away from beehives and bee trees as well as from the great gray. 
papery nests of the wasp, but the hornets or yellow jackets have an uncomfortable habit of building in low bushes and on the ground where you may literally put your foot in a hornet's nest. They are hot-tempered little people. These same hornets, as I have reason to know, twice I have been punished by them, and both times it was my head they attacked. Once I found them, or they found me, in a cherry tree, and the second time we met was when I stepped in their nest hidden on the ground. Their sting is like a hot wire pressed into the flesh. When angered they will chase you and swarm around your head, stinging whenever they can, but they may be beaten off if some friendly hand will wield a towel or anything else that comes handy. If the stings of any of these stinging insects are left in the wounds they should be taken out with a clean needle or clean knife blade. In any case mix some mud into a paste and plaster it on the parts that have been stung. If you are in camp and have with you a can of antiflogistine use that instead of the mud, it is at least more sightly and is equally efficient in reducing inflammation. Various things have been devised as protection against insect torments. One is a veil of net to be worn over the head. You will find this described in chapter ID under the heading of personal outfits. Dopes then there are dopes to be rubbed over the face, neck, and hands. B3 said to be the best are Nesmix dope, Brex dope, and H.P. Wells's bug juice. There is also a Rexall preparation which, I am told, is good while it stays on, but will wash off with perspiration. Nesmix dope in giving the recipe for his dope. Nesmick says that it produces a glaze over the skin and that in preventing insect bites he has never known it to fail. This is the dope, pine tar 3 ounces castor oil 2 ounces oil of pennyroyal 1 ounce simmer all together over a slow fire. And bottle. This is sufficient for 4 persons for 2 weeks. Brex dope pine tar 3 ounces olive or castor oil 2 ounces oil of pennyroyal 1 ounce citronella 1 ounce creosote 1 ounce camphor pulverized 1 ounce large tube of carbolated vaseline. Heat the tar and oil, and add the other ingredients, simmer over slow fire until well mixed. The tar may be omitted if disliked or for ladies' use. Brett tells us that his dope was planned to be a counter-irritant after being bitten as well as a preventer of bites. H.P. Wells's bug juice olive oil 1 2 point creosote 1 ounce pennyroyal 1 ounce camphor 1 ounce dissolve camphor in alcohol and mix. Any dope must be well rubbed in on face, neck, ears, and behind ears, hands on the backs wrists, and arms, but be very careful not to get it in your eyes. Smudges smudges are said to afford relief in camp, but my own experience has been that the insects can stand them better than I. Smudges made by burning things that make little flame and much smoke. Dead leaves, not to dry, will make a fairly good smudge, but a better way is to burn damp cedar bark, or branches, on piles of hot coals taken from the campfire and kept alive at different sides of the camp. The accounts of extreme suffering caused by insect bites come from unusually sensitive people. All people are not affected alike. Two persons from one camp will tell entirely different stories of their experience with insects. The best way to encounter these, as all other annoyances, is to protect yourself as well as you can and then, without whimpering, make the best of the situation. All the pests described will not fall upon you at once, and, taken singly or even doubly, you will manage to survive the ordeal. If the pleasure of the trail did not overbalance the pain there would be fewer campers to relate their troubles. Snakes the bite of a poisonous snake is by all means to be avoided, and the point is, you almost always can avoid it. With all the snakes in the United States, Dr. William T. Hornaday, director of the Zoological Park of New York City, tells us that out of 75 million people not more than to die each year of snake bites. Snakes are not man-hunters, they will not track you down, 
they much prefer to keep out of your way. What you have to do is to keep out of theirs. In a region where poisonous snakes abound it is well to wear khaki leggings as a protection in case you inadvertently step too near and anger the creatures. For in such cases they sometimes strike before you have time to beat a retreat. According to Dr. Hornaday, the poisonous snakes of North America are, the rattlesnake, water moccasin, copperhead, sonora coral snake, harlequin snake, rattlesnakes. The rattlesnake appears to vary in color and markings in the different localities where it is found, and there are 14 or 15 varieties, but all carry the rattles, shake them warningly, and coil before they strike. The rattlesnake does not want to fight and if you keep at a safe distance it will glide off in another direction, but it is safest not to venture within striking distance, which is said to be two-thirds the length of the snake, even if the snake has not coiled, for it moves quickly and strikes like a flash. The rattles are at the extreme end of the tail and are composed of horny joints. The sound of the rattle is much like the humming of a locust cicada. Rattlesnakes are often found sunning themselves on large rocks and stone quarries are the chosen winter quarters where whole colonies assemble. They are also found, during the summer, among underbrush and in stubble fields, where they probably go to hunt field mice and other small mammals. Illustration, banded rattlesnake poisonous water moccasin poisonous red-bellied water snake striped lengthwise harmless poisonous and non-poisonous snakes. Banded rattlesnake the mountains of Pennsylvania are a favorite resort of the rattlesnake. Though I have passed many summers in Pike County, famous for its snakes, the only live one I ever saw in that locality was in a box at Roland Station. The men of our party occasionally killed one and brought it to camp as a trophy, but one of our weekend guests spent most of his time hunting the rattler that he might take its skin back to the city, yet without success. It is the banded rattlesnake that is usually found in Pennsylvania. The color is yellowish and it is marked with irregular, wide bands of dark brown. Sometimes the snake is almost black, and it is thought that it turns dark with age. Diamond rattlesnake The rattlesnake marked in diamond patterns of gold outline on brown is of the south and is oftenest found in Florida. This is a very large snake, and closely allied to it is the Texas rattlesnake, which is the same in markings and color, but paler, as if faded out. Massasauga The Massasauga is the rattlesnake occasionally found in the swamps from western New York to Nebraska, but it is rare. Its color is light brown with patches of dark brown its entire length. Copperhead The copperhead is not a rattler, though its vibrating tail amid dry leaves will sometimes hum like one. This is also true of the black snake. Its bite is very poisonous. It is found amid rocks and in the woods, and is at home from New England and the Atlantic coast west to Indiana and south to Texas. This snake is seldom more than three feet long. Its color is light reddish brown with bands of rich chestnut which are narrow on the back and wide at the sides. The underpart is whitish with dark spots on the abdomen. The head is generally coppery in color but not always. In Texas the colors of the copperhead are stronger. The bands and head are decidedly reddish. And the bands have narrow white borders. Harlequin snake and coral snake The harlequin snake and the coral snake are so similar in color and in habits. One description for both will answer our purpose. They are southern snakes, beginning in southern Indiana and extending south. They are quite poisonous, but of such retiring habits as hardly to be classed as dangerous. Most of their time is spent hidden under the sand and in the ground, but when they do come out their colors are so brilliant as not to be mistaken. On the harlequin snake the colors are bright coral red, yellow, and black, which alternate in stripes that encircle the body. Its head is always banded with a broad yellow stripe. 
the coral snake is much the same in color, and only a close observer would notice the difference. The coral snake is also found in Arizona. Water moccasin. Cottonmouth the water moccasin is ugly, and ugly all the way through. Its deadly viciousness is not redeemed by any outward beauty. Its average length is three and a half feet, though it is occasionally longer. Its unlovely body is thick and the color of greenish mud. The sides are paler and have wide, blackish bands. There are dark bands from the eyes to the mouth and above them there are pale streaks. The top of the head is very dark. The abdomen is yellow with splashes of brown or black. Heavy shields overhang the eyes and give a sinister expression to their angry glare. When suddenly approached the moccasin opens wide its white lined mouth. And one then understands why it is called cottonmouth. The snake does not coil before it strikes but vibrates its tail slowly and watches its prey with mouth open. The moccasin is decidedly a southern snake, and girls of the south know that its home is along the edges of bayous and in the swamps. It is frequently seen with its head and a small part of its body out of water while the rest is submerged, but at times it will be found on a water-soaked log or on underbrush and low boughs of trees that overhang the water. The bite is very poisonous. Other snakes There are many other snakes in the United States, but they are not venomous. Here is one thing to remember, you need never fear a snake found in this country which has lengthwise stripes. That island stripes running from head to tail. Daniel C. Beard tells me that he has learned this from observation. And Raymond L. Ditmars, curator of reptiles in the New York Zoological Park, agrees with him. While the lengthwise striped snakes are harmless, others not striped in this way are harmless, too. The black snake, though he looks an ugly customer and, when cornered, will sometimes show fight, is not venomous and his bite is not deep, it island therefore, wanton cruelty to kill every snake that crosses your path simply because it happens to be a snake, Keffart, in his book of, Camping and Woodcraft, says in regard to identifying the poisonous snake, the rattlesnake, copperhead, and cottonmouth are easily distinguished from all other snakes, as all three of them bear a peculiar mark, or rather a pair of marks, that no other animal possesses, This mark is the pit, which is a deep cavity on each side of the face between the nostrils and the eye, sinking into the upper jawbone. If, when one has been bitten and the snake killed, an examination is made of its head, it can be ascertained immediately whether the snake was venomous, and in this way unnecessary fright may be avoided. Bead lizard. Gillette monster The only other venomous reptile found in the United States is the bead lizard, called Gillette monster pronounced Gila. Unless you visit the desert regions of Arizona and New Mexico, you will not be apt to run across this most interesting no-poisonous reptile. The Gila monster looks very much like a unique piece of Indian beadwork, with its fat body and stubby legs covered with bright-colored, bead-like tubercles, which form almost a Navajo pattern. Its length is about 19 inches, and its beads are colored salmon, flesh pink, white or yellow, and black, though it has the appearance of being stuffed with cotton. It is really formidable and very much alive. Its jaws are strong, when it bites it holds on like a bulldog, and there is no way to force it to open its mouth except to pry the powerful jaws apart, while otherwise slow of movement, it will turn quickly from side to side, snapping viciously. The inside of the Jilla's mouth is black, and when angry it opens it wide and hisses. Treatment for snake bites if the unlikely should chance to happen and one of your party is bitten by a poisonous snake first aid should be given immediately, and if the physician is within reach he should be summoned as quickly as possible. Much depends, however, upon what is done first. Anyone can administer the following treatment, and it should be done without flinching. 
for it may mean the saving of a life, one as soon as the person has been twisted tourniquet very tightly above the wound, that island between the wound and the heart, to keep the poison as far as possible from entering the entire system, to slash the wound or stab it with a clean knife blade and force it to bleed copiously. If there is no break in the skin or membrane of your mouth or lips and no cavity in any of your teeth, set the wound to draw out the poison. 3. Give a stimulant in small doses at frequent intervals to stimulate the heart and lungs and strengthen the nerves, but avoid overdoing this, for the result will be harmful. For if you have with you an antivenomous serum, inject it as directed by the formula that accompanies it. Tie a loose bandage around the affected member, a handkerchief, neck scarf, or even a rope for a tourniquet, to check circulation, as described in Chapter XII, on accidents, every little while loosen the tourniquet, then tighten it again, for it will not do to stop the circulation entirely, all authorities do not advise sucking the wound, but it is generally done, for with a perfectly sound and healthy mouth there is no danger, as the poison enters the system only by contact with the blood, some writers advocate cauterizing the wound with a hot iron, but, Whatever is done, do quickly, and do not be afraid. Fear is contagious and exceedingly harmful to the patient. Remember that a snake bite is seldom fatal, and that a swollen egg.